Episode 25 of Kings of the Podcast. How are you doing this fine morning? I'm doing great, Jay. It's getting down to the nitty-gritty here. Got a team got to string some wins together, but let's do this episode. Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. We are coming to you live from the Trent Hunter Studio here in beautiful Los Angeles, DB. Wasn't he number seven, Trent Hunter? You know, it's funny that you said that because I normally would have looked this up and I just thought, what the heck, we're going to wing it today. I thought he was number 47, so maybe we do need to look it up. Uh, but the, the point is... He was a very obscure member of the LA Kings, and you know I love bringing up uh, obscure players. He only played one season in Los Angeles. He played 38 games. He only potted two goals. This was one of those players, if I remember correctly, that Dean Lombardi signed over the summer, one of those depth players. And the reason that uh, he sort of popped into my mind was we've been talking a lot about depth players uh, of recent times. We've been talking about double A, and and, uh, he played. He's really a New York Islander more than anything else, uh, which, of course, ties back to our previous episode and some of the stuff you were talking about with Dustin Brown potentially being an option um, for the New York Islanders. His whole story is a little bit interesting. I won't spend 30 minutes on it, DB, but a couple of quick bullet points. He was drafted in the sixth round by the Anaheim Ducks, but he never actually played for Anaheim because they ended up trading him essentially for uh, what I think was a fourth-round draft pick. They traded him to the Islanders, and uh, the Islanders didn't... uh, uh, Well, eventually, I will say, just to fast forward, they ended up trading him away in 2011. Um, They traded him for a conditional pick uh, to the New Jersey Devils, I believe, and then ultimately he somehow ended up uh, in Los Angeles. So uh, he also played 20 games with the Manchester Monarchs. He scored four goals there, but uh, 497 games, DB, and this is one of those things that always rubs me the wrong way, and it probably irritates uh, players as well. 497 games. Like, dude, he just couldn't get three more games to round it out at an even 500. Right. Fourth line, eight minutes. Let's go. 24 <laughs> minutes total. I mean, sign, sign for the league minimum and just just some somewhere. some Somebody couldn't just pick up Trent Hunter and let him get those three games in. He did have 236 points in his 497 games. So just shy of being about a half a, uh, half a point per game player, which really, if you think about it, DB, if you're a sixth round draft pick and you end up playing 500 games at a half a point per game clip, not bad. Not bad. He was decent with the Islanders for a stretch, but yeah, that's that's not bad at all. His his peak uh, year, he had uh, twenty five goals, Dennis, in two thousand three four, and then he uh, he had twenty goals just a couple years later in the 06-07 season. So yeah, nothing to sneeze at if you're putting up twenty five goals one year and twenty goals uh, a year later. Sandwiched in between that, he had sixteen goals in the 05-06 season. So uh, you know, if you average those three seasons together, he's he's a twenty goal player there for uh, for three years. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, we do have Jesse Cohen coming up in the second period today. Dennis, a little bit of a, of a crossover. You know, you see this on, on TV episodes. I don't watch these shows, but I think it's like uh, Grey's Anatomy goes on Chicago Med or something like that. Uh, and, and Oh, Chicago Fire and Chicago Med and Chicago okay. PD, my favorite. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't, okay, I didn't I know that. Well, there shows. you go. So they do crossovers, right? We're like the cast of yeah. one goes on the cast of another. So we're doing our own version of that this week. The Kings are off for four days, and, you know, we have to think of things to do. So... Uh, Jesse Cohen is going to come on our program and then we are going to go on his program and uh, sort of kind of like a two-part conversation. You can either enjoy half of it here or you could enjoy the full conversation and listen to to both episodes. So he'll be on in the second period. Uh, DB, here's where I want to start with today. Strength of schedule. So we're coming down into the home stretch of the, uh, the, the LA King season and you did ask Coach Todd McClellan the other day 
on one of the Zoom calls, has he started to do the math yet? And uh, his basic answer was no, he hasn't. But you've done some of the math. And so tell us a little bit about how the math is going to work out here for the Kings to make the yeah, playoffs. Well, yeah, they're going to probably have to play it, uh, finish like about 570 uh, percentage of points. So to me, it's, it's a real simple math. It's 65 points would probably get them in. Um, they've played 32 games. They have uh, 32 points. So it's real simple math. 24 games left. 10 of those games, you want to talk about straight the schedule? Uh, 10 of those games are against the big boys, against four against Colorado, four against Vegas, and one each against St. Louis and Minnesota. The St. Louis game has to be rescheduled. So um, the rest of the balance of the 14 games are against the teams that are in their pack, San Jose, Arizona, and to a lesser extent, Anaheim. So what, what they'll basically have to do, John, is, and we ran through some numbers before we, we came on the episode, if they win four of the 10 against the, the, the better teams in the division, they're going to have to basically run the table. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to get to get to the postseason. Um, they're going to need four, uh, 14. They're going to have to go 14, 5, and 5 over the last 24 games to, to get this to um, uh, to 65, and that's a big ask. So basically, unless they're going to improve against the better teams, um, they're going to have to virtually win all their games. And, and the, the two losses against San Jose, those were really, really damaging ones because your expectation was two, three, four points, and you got zero. And this mm-hmm. team, you know, John, they're four, six, and three over the last thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're not. They're they have to turn it around at this point in time. And as we talked about, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world not to make the postseason because they've definitely made strides. But this is going to be a big ask. They're going to have to get on a big run. And maybe Todd didn't answer that question because he knew what the math was. Well, let me let me ask you this though, DB. Uh, that's some, a great breakdown there. Let's let's go through a little bit of that. So. In the 10 games against the big guys, four with Vegas, four with Colorado, one each with Minnesota and St. Louis. So there's there's 10 games right there. And when you and I were doing the math, we figured four wins in those 10 games. Uh, is it conceivable that they could win six games? I mean, sure. Let's just sort of do that, right? You could win one against St. Louis. You could win one against Minnesota. There's two wins. Now you need four more. So you would essentially have to split. You'd have to get... Yeah. You'd have to win two of the four against Vegas and two of the four against Colorado. Is it possible? I mean, sure, it's possible. And if you were to do that, then it relieves a little bit of the pressure on the other side. The other side, meaning those other 14 games against Arizona, St. Louis, uh, San Jose, and Anaheim. In those 14 games, now instead of needing uh, 13 wins, essentially, now you only need 11 wins. But you're still talking about 11 wins in those 14 games. 14 games. And the strength of schedule is really what I wanted to get at. Um, there was something I was looking at the other day, and the Kings have like the third easiest schedule of all of their games remaining. If you do the mathematical calculations, which somebody else did for us, um, they have the third easiest schedule. Uh, so according to strength of schedule, they should be able to get it done and they should be able to win. And this was my question for you about strength of schedule. For me, personally, it just doesn't resonate the same way that it does. Like in in the NFL, strength of schedule is a very powerful thing, and it usually ends up playing out. Like I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but strength of schedule is very telling in the National Football League. And so, of course, people are trying to apply that methodology to the NHL. Uh, This week, I guess, was a perfect case in point when you look at the Kings playing the Sharks. Do you buy into strength of schedule normally in the NHL, or is it just that this year is so weird, or do you sort of lean more towards my thinking, which is that strength of schedule just doesn't really play out in hockey the same way since it tends to be a you know a 3-2 league for the most part? Yeah, I don't believe in it either, John. Okay. I think that at this point, um, plus you're playing inside the division, every game is a four-game game, a four-point mm-hmm. game, and if you go on a five, four-game winning streak or a five-game winning streak, you're back in it, mm-hmm. right? If, if the Kings were to win the next five, their their chances to make the postseason are way better. The problem is with strength of schedule. Yeah, they have the third easiest schedule, but this team has won 13 to 32 games. Mm-hmm. So you're lying saying you're going to beat these teams and you've only won, what, 40% of your games? So to me, it doesn't it, – it's a fact with respect to other records, but I, I, you got to go out and win the games. I don't think that – I think it can be – you can't even be a something about the Anaheim games at this point, John. They mm-hmm. haven't played great against Anaheim, so mm-hmm. um, it's going to be difficult. But I agree. I think strength of schedule this season 
is a little bit because you, you don't play outside your division. So it should be relatively the same for everybody. Right. And it, I, I would agree with you because playing a lesser team that's not one of your rivals, you might have the odds swing in your favor from a strength of schedule perspective. But we've seen this historically now, 20 plus years between the Kings and the Ducks. It's like, it doesn't matter which team is the better team at that particular moment. You put those two teams on the ice, it's a rivalry and it's going to be a close game more often than not. And the, the quote unquote lesser team often ends up winning. Like, I don't know what the stats are. Maybe somebody is keeping track of all of this stuff of who was supposed to win the games between the Kings and the Ducks and who ended up winning. Um, but it certainly feels to me like it, it, it's a fairly even series. And uh, it seems to me that, you know, more often than not, the wrong team ends up winning. Yeah. Well, look, they, they've got that end of end of the season. They've got, what, Anaheim for, what, four, five games? And Arizona for four or three, so maybe, maybe. But again, they they got to clear. There's another hurdle they got to clear, John. At the end, middle of April, they've got two in San Jose. They come home, play two Vegas and two in Colorado. Like mm-hmm. that, that's going to be it. If they get over that hurdle, then yeah, then the strength of schedule does actually matter because the only road games left are in Anaheim and Arizona. So, but that's again, there's going to be have to be a lot of heavy lifting. And they're just going to have to improve their overall level of play to, to think they can get to the postseason. Yeah, I don't even know if the home and road thing matters this year in the NHL with no fans, with the minimal travel, with the two game sets. Like, is there is there even a home or road advantage? Someone's keeping track of the stats, I'm sure, but but it, it doesn't feel like there's a home and road advantage. I don't think there's as a pronounced a home and road advantage. I agree with it because they don't make trips to the west to the east coast now, so they're not. They shouldn't be as tired, and their trips are or at what ninety minutes maybe two hours to Colorado. That's the longest trip. So they shouldn't relatively be tired. So, but yes, I, I agree with you. I, I think that lack of fans in the stands and the less travel, it should make that team, you know, it, it should even out things when they play them. And, and that second game, when they're doing the two game series, DB, not only do you not have travel, but I think it's actually a little bit easier to play in the second game because now instead of doing the pregame prep on the opposition in in, in, pre- in preparation for game one, going into game two, you can focus more on your team. And so the, the communication, the video work, et cetera, from the coaching staff can be more about what tweaks and changes you need to make in your game instead of worrying about the opposition. And the Kings have done fairly well in the uh, the second game of the of the two-game series this year, again, prior to the San Jose series. Yeah, no, they've, they've hung in even against the big boys. They've hung in in those second games and played well. You want to weigh in on the, uh, the Jeff Carter uh, penalty there late in the third period? No. <laughs> Do you? Please. It, it wasn't a penalty to me. I, I and and I just don't understand how that's a penalty. I, I it, it was the weirdest play. Uh, you're watching the game live, and it, and it looks like he goes down from being hit by a sniper, right? And then they're calling high sticking, but you don't see high sticking, and you're really looking for a penalty. It just didn't seem like a penalty to me, either live or on a replay, I, I don't I don't understand what the penalty was. Well, the call was high sticking, and I think the fact that that Logan Couture was down on the ice for a bit of time probably impacted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, of course, I understand it was a high sticking penalty. I'm just saying I don't understand how you call a penalty in that particular uh, in that particular play, if you will. It just didn't look like a penalty to me. But uh, mm-hmm. let, let's let's move on here. Um, seven games coming up on Channel 13. Uh, Dennis, the television package has been a bit of a, uh, a frustration point for some fans this year. Uh, we talked about it a couple episodes ago, right? As fans have started to leave traditional cable and satellite television, you know, and started to stream more some of their television programs, whether it's The Office uh, on NBC, you know, they've moved over to certain areas or whether it's uh, sports programming, you you now have to um, put your package together in a way that allows you to view the the programs or the games that you want. So this is a good opportunity here. Um, From what I understand, DB, it was just one of those situations where on those seven nights, all four of the teams that normally um, play on convergence, uh, yeah, it was just a good opportunity. They all play on those channels, the Fox Sports West and the uh, Prime Ticket, which of course are changing here in the next couple of days to the uh, Bally Sports Network. But it was an opportunity for the Kings then to work with them and to find another alternative. And they've uh, had a good partnership with Channel Thirteen over the last couple of years, and so now fans will be able to watch those games 
regardless of what your cable or satellite package is, everybody's getting channel 13 on their cable and satellite package. It's a local channel. So seven more games, an opportunity for the Kings to expand their, uh, their audience and get more eyeballs on the game. So back to our earlier point, DB, you certainly hope that this is a, a stretch where the Kings are going to be more impressive and put some wins up and then uh, maybe win some fans back. Yeah, there'll definitely be more eyeballs on the game, John, without question. I think that, uh, like you said, that everybody has that channel. So tune to it and uh, hopefully to do a little bit of a promo. Um, it's also big because 13, I think, is owned by Fox. So you never know. Maybe the the Fox uh, Fox Sports will sign on for the pack, this, the B package um, with respect to the NHL coverage this season. But, yeah, it's it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You just, look, got to work a little bit more. You set your phone to, you know, to, to know that for those seven games they're on 13. I think it's a win for the organization. Yeah, it is important. I think you bring up a good point. It is important for everybody to help get the word out, right, from the Kings PR staff and whatnot because fans – of sports teams are so accustomed. They're like to, to going to the same place and doing the same thing. It's a very repetitious process, right? People have their superstitions, what they eat, what they wear, what, you know, how they watch the game, where they watch the game. And when the game is, we see it when games are on NBC uh, and they're the national games. Like, wait a minute, what's going on? Where's the game? You know? People tweeting us. Where's the game? The game's not on TV. Yes, it is. <laughs> on, on, on direct TV. Yes. Can everybody just get on DirecTV? They're not a sponsor of the program. We make nothing by saying this, but it just makes things so much easier. Uh, just like this weekend, DB, we'll be talking about the, uh, or I will be tweeting out about the college hockey uh, tournament, and you might need to find those channels. And it's easier for me to tell you what channel it is when you're on DirecTV. Uh, so, uh, DB, real quickly, before we get into the second period and bring in Jesse, let's just sort of talk about the trade deadline. Because there is one thing that uh, came up here over the last couple of days, and that is that travel restrictions are apparently going to be reduced in Canada, moving from 14 days of quarantine to seven days of quarantine. How do you think that's going to impact the NHL trade deadline? I think it's going to greatly impact the NHL trade line, because if you have two days off and you time it correctly with respect to a trade, you might have a player miss one or two games. I think it's a major impact here, John. So it's a it's a great thing to see. So now the Kings can trade Jonathan Quick and Alex Iafalo to the Leafs now, and everything will be fine. <laughs> oh, so, so Iafalo is now going to the Leafs as well. This is a package oh, yeah, deal. There's, there's an, there, John, there's an outlet now that has uh, Alex Iafalo, the number one player, uh, target for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because the Jonathan Quick to Toronto uh, trade speculation, we're going to call it, um, has reached such a fever pitch that one of my friends just yesterday, who I would consider to be uh, not closely connected to sort of what's going on, doesn't really pay attention to the buzz and all that stuff, and normally doesn't get this caught up in the rumors, the uh, texted the me period. and was like, what's this I hear about Jonathan Quick going to Toronto? And I was like, wow, this thing is really spread like wildfire, and, and people must be bored um, on all these various social media channels that are uh, reporting it as, as, as if it's a done deal. Obviously, there's many complexities to that deal, Dennis, as we've yeah. uh, spoken about, including that the King would need to get a veteran goalie back and one to make available in the uh, in the expansion draft. But before then, we probably will be seeing a, a healthy diet, a 50-50 diet uh, of Peterson versus Quick, assuming that both goaltenders are healthy. That seems to be the plan from Todd. Yeah, I don't think that's going to change at all, Jay. All right, DB, on the other side, we have Jesse Cohen. He's going to join us. We'll talk about uh, a variety of different Kings topics, and then we will rejoin you guys for the third period and uh, continue with Kings of the Podcast. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back. Second period, Kings of the Podcast. This is a continuing uh, continuation, I should say, of a conversation that three people are in the middle of having. Dennis Bernstein, <laughs> welcome back to the program. And Jesse Cohen, welcome to the program for the first time. We're, we, uh, we started this over on your podcast, Jesse, and we just thought it would be a good thing to continue talking. Are you up for it? Absolutely. Let's do this. All right. So uh, no particular order. Let's dive in on this. On the last program, on the last Kings of the Podcast episode, uh, we were discussing... The start of game times. And these things always kind of make me chuckle, Jesse, because I know that you normally have opinions uh, about these type of things. So we asked or we discussed it. And then we asked on Twitter, 
what the fans would prefer. Would they prefer, this is of course, assuming that life returns to normal, fans are in the building, the whole nine yards. Uh, before I tell you what the fans said, hopefully you haven't seen the poll on Twitter yet, Jesse, what time do you prefer for a game? 6.30, 7 or 7.30 for a Kings home game? I'm gonna stun you. <laughs> Here we go. I, your jaw's gonna be on the floor. I don't have an opinion. I am shocked by that, actually. <laughs> 100% truthful and honest. I am shocked you don't have an opinion. I'll tell you why I don't have an opinion, just in place of the opinion. I consider myself insanely fortunate and insanely lucky to be an employee of the LA Kings. To this day, don't truly believe that I deserve it. And I am in constant awe and gratitude of the Kings and the fans and everybody else that lets me play in what I consider to be their, their sandbox. So for me, it's not a consideration. I will go okay, to the game. So here, how about this then? Let, yeah. let, me, let me jump in and save you the, uh, the political stumping here. The, going back, you, you said the other day uh, in the first part of this conversation that you agreed in retrospect or something like that. I'm sorry, I already forgot the quote. <laughs> yeah, so that's fine. Let's, let's, go, let's, get, let's get back into our time machine again. Uh -huh. it's, it's now, it's three years ago and you were not employed by the LA Kings. Yeah. At that point, and you're at the peak of your fandom, uh, wh when would you have preferred the games to start? Because again, this is the type of thing that normally you would like be all over, Jesse. I would say 7.30 just because I was used to it. And what I was going to say about me not, not feeling like I you know, belonged or whatever. I, I would say, honestly, whatever, whatever is easiest and most convenient for the fans. Because okay. the West Coast fans who can be in the building. I don't care about people on the East Coast who are complaining about staying up late. I don't have any... Dennis, make sure you clip that. I don't care about people on the East Coast, oh. by the way, because that is what we're going to start to show off. With would, you, would you would you like me to send you the clip from 2014 where I went in on New York for two minutes full of alcohol? Sure. Um, Thank you. But, we're, we're but, uh, good. but no, I mean, TV, I, I've, uh, go yeah. ahead. I think your ticket paying customers need to be the priority. And so whatever is easiest for most of them, and I would imagine for most of them, it's 730 commuting traffic in LA is a nightmare. Um, I know it's rough for kids because it makes them stay up a little bit later. But, you know, listen, <clears throat> my dad took me to games all the time at 730 and would, would drive. Wait, wait a minute. Along wait, didn't you, didn't you sign an affidavit saying you weren't going to do that on our program? What, how did you slip that in there? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and listen, it, you know, it was like the night Wayne Gretzky scored his 800 and second, right? I was sick as a dog. Um, <clears throat> my dad still took me and, you know, got home late and the whole thing. And I was at school the next day infecting all of my classmates but it i still think 7 30 for for fans um is you know you can see it right when the game starts at seven it takes a while now, for the building to fill up now db uh hopefully you haven't seen the the results of the poll I've yet seen because, the results now okay so uh we were of course discussing this on the last program and you had even floated the idea of 6 30 p.m which i thought was wild and um i have to tell you 7 p.m. It kind of, I think what we expected, maybe DB, 7 p.m. was the winner. 57% of the fans went with 7 p.m. 26% uh, said 7.30 and 17% said 6.30. I am with Jesse. I, I personally like the 7.30 games. It's probably just because, you know, that's what I grew up on. And that's, that's when hockey starts for me is at 7.30. I wouldn't be opposed to the 7 o'clock games. It is sort of funny, though, to me. I always think of games at uh, seven o'clock being ducks games because the, yeah. the games at the Honda yeah. center start at seven, but uh, Dennis, any surprise or any reaction to the, to the poll results? No, no surprise. I, I I'd prefer six 30 and not only from a context of a fan standpoint, but for context from media where yeah. you always, people say, Oh, it's on earlier. We can see Kopitar and Brown and, and Dowdy. So I think from a media standpoint um, to get more people to watch Los Angeles nationwide, the earlier, the better. Okay. The second half of this question guys was about, uh, day games, which um, not a big fan of day games. I think I'm on record as saying that once or a hundred times. Uh, the question was, if the Kings had to play an earlier game at home on weekends, which start time do you prefer? Jesse, we put out there four different times, 12 o'clock, one o'clock, three o'clock, five o'clock. Did you have a, or do you have a preference? Or are you going to go with the same old, uh, you know, let the world decide? No, I do have a preference on this one. <laughs> oh, okay. So everything you said on the first one is out the window. Now well, you have an opinion. No, but I have a stake in this one. The other ones, okay. you know, whatever, I don't care. Um, but no, I prefer, I, I think, and Jim Fox will back me up on this, that breakfast is the best meal served at, uh, at Staples Center in the media room. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm going to go with noon just to guarantee that the uh, that the medium meal is uh, bacon and uh, and egg. Wow, that is a very specific reason to prefer <laughs> that. Yes, for the 12 people that eat the breakfast at Staples Center. <laughs> it's good. Uh, you at you and Jim Fox. Good. We'll have to text Foxy and see if he agrees. Yeah. Dennis, do you um do you have any guesses at where the the poll landed? It was one o'clock a choice? Yeah, it was 12 o'clock, one o'clock, three o'clock, and five o'clock. One o'clock. Yeah, you want to know what's really interesting here is that my preference as, uh, would be the five o'clock game. And hmm. because again, I don't like the games in the middle of the day. I think it burns the whole day. Five o'clock was the winner, but only by 34%. Dennis, this is what shocked me. Remember we were talking about three o'clock being yeah. that weird start time? Yeah. 25%, 25% of the people said start the game at three o'clock on a Saturday or a Sunday. I was absolutely floored by that. Uh, only 13%, Jesse, agree with you. Now, maybe if you could get them into the uh, media meal that they would agree with you, <laughs> but only 13% said 12 o'clock. 28% was, uh, percent was 1 p.m. So basically it was uh, over a third said five, and then there was uh, about 25% of the people said one or three o'clock. So I don't know, split the difference and do it at two o'clock and maybe you'll, you'll get a 50% increase there. So that's that's interesting. I'm sure that Kelly Cheeseman will want to use that uh, as as part of his uh, marketing going forward. Hey, hey, before we go on, so so Jesse, John and I, um, and we picked this up in the first half on your Kingsman podcast, but mm -hmm. um, so, so where do you stand with respect to the offseason, what they need, what they don't need? Are you willing to stand, Pat? What's your take on what this roster should look like next season and beyond? Uh, all right. So the the analogy that I have been using is that we are in that, that the Kings uh, are essentially redesigning a kitchen. And so the past two years, as long as it's not a bathroom, Jesse, that's good. No, it's just a kitchen. <laughs> so the past two years, they've been getting rid of all of the appliances that they've decided they want to upgrade. And this year is the first stages of, okay, let's figure out what our countertop's going to be. Let's figure out what kind of microwave we want. Let's figure out, you know, do we want an electric stove or do we want a gas stove? Um, and the only way to know that really is to try it out. So for example, we started the season with Mata and Dowdy on the top pair. I did not think that was, uh, I didn't think that was going to happen when they signed Mata. I thought he was brought in to, uh, frankly, I thought that signing or the acquisition of Mata meant that Bjornfoot was ready to be Dowdy's partner. Um, because, it, you know, I looked at Mata's numbers and I saw a guy that played 18 minutes a game, not 25. And I thought, well, okay, that's what he is. An 18 minute night guy. Turns out it's Anderson and Dowdy. And I agree with you, Dennis, we haven't seen the offensive production from Bjornfoot and Anderson. Um, I guess my issue is I'm willing to be patient. Um, I don't see the end of the tunnel for Dowdy or Kopitar. I assume that both of them will be productive until they're not, but I don't see any sign that it's coming. Um, so I'm perfectly fine to wait and find out when it comes to the blue line. Um, ironically, I'm not, I don't have a problem with, I have follow on the top line, nor do I don't have, it's not that I have a quote unquote problem with Brown on the top line. I am just concerned that we know, we know what the expiration date on Dustin Brown's contract is. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the expiration date on his career, but at some point, presumably, Andre Kopitar is going to have to learn how to play with somebody else besides Dustin Brown. And I'm just curious when that'll be, because it doesn't look like it's going to be this year and it doesn't look like it's going to be next year. So what we're expecting that two years from now, we're going to find out who Kopitar plays with. Now he's going to be 35. Is it going to be Velarde? Is it going to be Kupari? Is it going to be Thomas? Is it going to be one of those guys moved from center to wing? Is it going to be a free agent that they bring in? Is it going to be some miracle draft pick? Like two years from now, we're hoping the team is competitive, but we still haven't even begun to think about the fact that our top line two years from now won't look like what it looks like now. Um, so I'm would not, you move Brown off that line right now? No, because I don't think there's anybody else to put there. And he's playing incredibly well, right? Right, Or productively, at least. Um but I just Mainly think on the power play though. No, well, I looked at his even strength and power play goals. And you're right. A ton of the production is coming on the power play, but it's, I mean, given that he's what the second leading goal scorer on the team or even the leading goal scorer on the team, no one else is putting pucks in the net. So for now you go with what works. Right. Um, but if they were to say it is now a priority to sort out the top line, I would understand it because I don't think you mess with the defense unless you want to talk about the third pair. Um, I'm perfectly happy to let Bjornfoot and Anderson mature and, and let the, the blue line improve while they do. Peterson's obviously the goalie. 
you know, three, four years down the road, whatever it is, you hope that Anderson, Dolan, Grunstrom, and Moore can continue, as Todd said, you know, they're not going to score a point a game or they'd be the first line on the best team. But you hope that they're at least productive as a third line. But now you really have to figure out the second line um, and you really have to figure out what you're going to do, you know, about the future. And I just don't think there's any way to do that without without just waiting. Um, so that's why I'm not particularly... So you would do nothing in the post in, in the offseason? Well, no, I think you have to let the rest of this season play out and then and then go from there. Okay, then give me this. I'll give you the scenario. They don't make the postseason. They miss by eight points. What would you do if you're Rob Blake? Just sit pat and say, okay, the next generation's coming? Because you know, at some point, it, it, it's never happened where you have a core of players and you have your prospects and you win a Stanley Cup, right? Every single team has made big... T- Look at what Tampa did. They traded two, three firsts to get two middle of the pack guys to win a championship. Yeah, but so, Tampa had been a disappointing contender for like five years or something. Right, but the, they think, the Kings but, are crawling out of the base. Okay, but look, both you guys' hair would catch on fire if the Kings traded a first round pick for a third liner. Like, no, right? at this point, I wouldn't care. Oh, you wouldn't care. Okay, no, because they already. Because in my mind, at this point, this the cupboard is now officially full. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, like there's too many guys. We're at the point now where it's like, well, you know, do you bring up Kaliev? Do you bring up Kupari? Do you bring up Fagamo? Do you bring up Byfield? Like there's, there's four guys I just r- rambled off the top of my head from the AHL team on a roster that doesn't have room for it. Plus there's the taxi squad. It's a weird, complicated year. Um, so like, for example, you say the Kings are looking for a, a dynamic puck moving left-handed defenseman. Mm-hmm. If they traded a first round pick for it, it's fine with me. Like, you yeah, know, I'd be fine with it as well. That, that player is probably going to be better than whoever you draft with the pick anyway. So Great. Well, the age distribution is the part that kicks in for me. So, you know, you just take Vince Dunn as an example. Even if people don't think that he's the best of the candidates, he certainly would be a candidate. And if they had mm-hmm. to move a first round pick and a deal for Vince Dunn, that's going to help this team more over the next five years than anybody that they draft in the first round and have to groom and develop for the next right. couple of years. And then they hope three seasons from now that he's able to, you know, make some, do something. So I, 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 don't, I don't have a particular issue with it. And trading a first for a third liner, I think needs a little bit more, uh, I need more information. Like, what? Who, who are we talking about? What? Give me a player, then I would get, be able to react to it more. Well, but but the point is, so you're not willing to import talent this summer. Well, to John's point, I need like somebody asked me, would you trade for Jack Eichel? And my my answer is, you need to tell me what the next move after that is, because just putting Jack Eichel on a team with talent, Buffalo's already proven that's not enough. And the Kings have already proven to me over the, over the decades that I've watched them that just bringing in a really good player doesn't guarantee it. Like, I think we all forget that Wayne Gretzky was here for eight years. And <laughs> well, you're also robbing Peter to pay Paul because you're, you're, you're Dennis, right. to your point from earlier that 25 teams don't have the assets to make certain deals. If the Kings were to use some of their better chips and let's be clear, there's no deal that's a, that's possible for Eichel uh, without including one of those three that we talked about earlier by Phil Turcotte and or Velarde. And it's probably three, if not more assets, you know, anyway. But if you're if you are utilizing some of your best chips to go out and get Eichel, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul because they still need help on the defensive side. So uh, mm. your your comment, I think, makes a little bit of sense there, Jesse, and that that's fine if you want to do that. But tell me what the next move is. But uh, to me, that just ends up being a circular conversation because I don't see the Kings making a move for for Jack Eichel now or in the summer. So you're, to, to answer your original question, though, Dennis, I'm perfectly happy with them being patient with this year, primarily because it's such an odd year, whether it's the taxi squad or teams playing only the seven teams. Um, at this point in the season, I know that a couple gambling sites have the Kings pegged as a better chance to make the playoffs than St. Louis. Um, oh. At this point, I just don't see it. Um, one of the four teams that's ahead of the Kings in the standings would have to go on a, on a losing streak equivalent to the kind of winning streak that we all know that the Kings would have to go on to grab that spot. It's a lot to ask. Um, given that most people were pegging them to finish dead last in the division and did not be impressive or a factor, if they finish fifth or even sixth in the division, um, I'd still want to know how, like, let's say Arizona passes them for fifth place and the Kings are in sixth place. I'd want to know what the records were. Like if, if they did it yeah. because the Kings lost to Arizona, maybe I maybe I'd be upset. But here's the thing. But it's if the not Kings about win and yeah. everybody else wins and they still finish sixth, I'm 
it, they've still made a tremendous amount of progress as well. I, I think regardless, they've made tremendous progress. And yeah. I joke about it. I get about it. But here's the thing. It's not about Arizona, San Jose, or Anaheim. And I, I think we text earlier in the week, it's the gap between themselves and Colorado and Vegas. So yeah. what you're saying is basically, I know there's a gap, and it's probably a substantial gap, and you're willing to sit for another season knowing that you're not a contender in the division. Yes. Okay. Fine. Let's um, let's get back to some guys that are on the team, though, uh, because, Jesse, we go back to Kings of the Roundtable. You certainly mm-hmm. had some uh, interesting takes on Dustin Brown at Kings of the Roundtable prior to his next contract. Actually, that wasn't even Kings of the Roundtable. That was Kings cast. That was pre-Kings of the Roundtable, I believe. But anyway, the point is uh, there are two guys that are unrestricted free agents that are due for contracts. Uh, what, what, you have an opinion on this one? Uh, Alex Iafalo. Should the Kings re-sign him? Should they trade him? If they do re-sign him, what's the money? What's the term? What's your take? Uh, well, I'm going to use the trick you and I just did previously, which is if if you're going to trade him, I need to know what it's for, right? What's coming back? Um, I don't think there's anybody presently on the roster that I would consider absolutely untouchable, um, but I want to know who's coming back, right? Because if you're trading Alex Iafalo for another guy like Alex I follow, then no, <laughs> say absolutely not. If somebody calls up and says, you know, we'll give you four first round draft picks in a row for Alex I follow, then yeah, sure. Great. That yeah. Jesse, awesome. it's hard to have these conversations <laughs> with you if you're going to be that uh, hypothetical, like let's try to hone in a little bit. So, All right, so the, I will say this. the Kings yes. are not shopping. I follow, but let's say that somebody should. calls. Okay, fine. So let's say that a team calls mm-hmm. a team that is a bubble team that needs some, some offensive depth and they like I follow and they think that he has a long runway because of his age and they're willing to take a gamble on him as a rental and hope that he likes their city and their team and that hopefully he would sign there, what type of a trade would satisfy you for Alex Iafalo? Honestly, none, because nobody's going to offer what it would. Because like I said earlier, if, I don't think the Kings need any more prospects or picks, so it would have to be an embarrassment of riches to get rid of him, and I just don't think, even if it was a first-round pick, I wouldn't do it. Because because Alex Hold Iafalo... It, I you would it. not trade Iafalo for a first-round pick? Did you just say that? I did, and I wouldn't. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, here's the comparable, John. Wait, hold on a second. The comparable would be Tyrell Toffoli, two seconds, or a second and a prospect. What? Toffoli is not the comparable to Iafalo? How? Why isn't he? Toffoli's he a better goal. He's a pure goal scorer. He? he has... He, well, he wasn't on yes. the first line here. <laughs> he, yeah, well, I have followed doesn't belong on the first line. He's a placeholder until somebody steals. The, okay, so you're telling me that if you're Rob Blake and you're the general manager of the LA Kings and mm-hmm. another team was to call you and say, hey, we're interested in Alex Iafalo with a straight yeah. face, you could ask for the same thing, the same return that you received for Tyler Toffoli. Yeah, yeah but, uh, sure. A prospect okay. and a pick. Yeah. What else would you ask for? Fourth round pick? No, not a fourth. Well, it's a big disparity between the fourth round. That's like that's like comparing well, John, the Ducks to Vegas right now. I mean, what, you tell us the return you would want because we're uh, wrong, apparently. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, no, I just I I think that if someone I think those are opposite ends of the spectrum. If somebody called and offered a first round pick for Alex Iafalo, I certainly would be entertained and and listening to it because I don't think that uh, okay. I don't think there's anybody on but the team that comes off the top round, of my head that's worth the first round. But pick, hold on. So I don't. If it's not a first round pick. And you get a call, like if you're Rob Blake, what's the price to a quorum? I I tend to lean with Jesse on this one, which I can't even believe I said that. He's going <laughs> to clip that and he's going to use that over and over. Like I just don't see the point in trading Alex Iafalo. So yeah. I don't I don't know agree, what somebody is going to offer. But I don't think that anybody would offer the same thing that they would offer you, Tyler Toffoli, nor do I think that the Kings would. So, again, I guess to borrow Jesse's, uh, I can't even believe I'm saying this right now. I must be drunk in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, If somebody called with a treasure chest of riches and offered it for Alex Iafalo, um, then, yeah, I mean, you take it. But uh, I I just don't see that happening. So what about resign him? Is what I'll say. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, okay. So I think they'll resign him. Dennis thinks they'll resign him. We've we've gone on record with our numbers. Uh, what what do you think would be the number in the term? Where do you expect? Um, I saw somebody suggest four million for four years. It might have been you guys. I don't remember. I apologize. Um, honestly, Certainly my instinct uh, my instinct would be to extend him the same length of time that is on Kopitar's contract. Um, the following statement is said with zero information or background or research or anything. It is just my personal opinion 
it seems perfectly clear to me that Andrzej Kopitar likes playing with Alex Ayafalo. Mm-hmm. Um, we've heard Todd McClellan say on multiple occasions that Alex Ayafalo is, quote, the kind of player that players ask to play with. Mm-hmm. And, and while I disagree with everybody's opinion that he doesn't belong on the first line, I acknowledge that everybody has that opinion, and yet he still is on the top line, which leads me to believe that Andrzej Kopitar is comfortable and enjoys playing with Alex Ayafalo. So I would extend Ayafalo to the end of Kopitar's contract. That's three that, more years. And at that point, you see where the team's at, where the players are at, and, and what's going on. And what's the term on that? I'm sorry, what's the uh, money on that? Oh, I mean, I wouldn't give him more than five, I guess, but I wouldn't, I also wouldn't cry any tears if it was because the cap five million just, a year? Cap space is not going to be an issue for this team. So, I, so I he's going to get more money than Tyler Toffoli? I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Four, It'll like I said, four for four, four for four works for me. You, you know, I mean, listen, I, I didn't think that Sean Walker was going to get as little as he got. Um, so I don't, I honestly just don't know because He's it all a third has to do pairing with, defenseman. No, I get it. I'm just saying, I don't, it's it, the, the finances of the league and of this team are so far completely off of what they were a year ago that I don't yet have a, a personal sense of what I think the proper, market value for a guy is right because you be a flat get, cap teams are going to be you know who know i don't know to answer TV, your question, if John, somebody offers get close to talk to foley because i'll tell you why if you look at his statistics he's virtually the same as zach hyman who's definitely going to get over four million so if he gets four two five and tyler got four or five it was a tough break for tyler he should have got more from vancouver but i'm telling you he's going to get in that range he may not meet it but I certainly think he's going to go over four because the comparable right now is Zach Hyman, who I know is pricing himself out of Toronto. Didn't, yeah, didn't I think, I think if it's a, get like $6 million or something, he never scored 20 goals in his career or he did it twice a, a decade ago. I think if, uh, if, well, first of all, I think if he gets a penny over three, five, he's overpaid. And second, I think if the agent asks for four times four, I think you immediately trade him. So there's, wow. there's my hot okay. take. Uh, double A. What what do you guys think? Uh, Dennis and I have debated this. Jesse, where do you land on double A? Unrestricted free agent heading into the trade deadline. Try to trade him, pick up some you know mid tier asset in return, or re-sign him. And if so, at what term? Okay, I got to be real careful how I phrase this because I am an I am an employee of the team. Um, Andreas Athanasiu's offense has been welcome. This is a season where a ton of guys are not scoring a ton of goals, and he scores goals that are highlight re- highlight real goals in a way that other people don't. However, if we are to assume, as I said, that Kopitar likes playing with Ayafalo and that the Grundstrom, Jad, Moore line appears to be productive, I don't see why you would have Athanasiu on the fourth line. And they clearly haven't sorted out who works well together on the second line. If it's going to be Gabriel Velarde at center, and it's going to be Carter at wing and whoever on the, on the left wing, it obviously hasn't worked out to any sort of satisfactory way. Um, I don't think Athanasiu is the kind of player you hold on to, to sort of like wait and see if you can find a pair that works with him. And so I am unclear what his role would be moving forward, unless between now and the trade deadline, which is what, two weeks away, three weeks away. Um, mm-hmm unless they can find somebody that he clearly clicks with and works with and consistently, you know, plays well with, then I think he is the kind of guy that you either package with some prospects or some picks to improve your, your stock or um, you know, or, or whatever. But I, I, I enjoy watching him play, but I just don't under, I just don't yet see the puzzle piece that he would become in next year's puzzle. Dennis. Well, if Grundstrom's your LW three, then there's not a room for him. Cause you wouldn't put that play on the fourth line. Right. I, I think that there are teams looking at him as a depth. ad, like on the third line left wing. Cause he's got touch. He's got some great moves mm-hmm. around the net, Look, the Owls aren't going to go big and, and replace Anders Lee. I think he fits on the third line for the Islanders. And he mm-hmm. certainly has, you know, he's, this is redemption for this guy because this guy was a minus 45 last year, and the rap was the game, never plays defense. Well, in the context of this system, he, he, he's not a Selkie winner, but he's certainly better. So I think there's teams looking at him. If they might have called and got a decent return, I would move him. I'm like Jesse, though. Like, where does this guy fit projecting other players coming up from Ontario and 
and succeeding. Like, I don't see it, and I don't see him on the fourth line. So unless he's going to beat out Grunstrom for the LW3, um, I agree. I, I don't see where you're going to put him on the depth chart, John. Isn't that almost a problem, though, with the majority of their bottom six? Like, where yep. does Matt Luff fit in? Where does Austin Wagner fit in? Where does Blake Lazat fit in? You start to talk about all these guys, and they have a lot of puzzle pieces, to borrow that phrase, that you just go, I don't know how this puzzle gets put together. There isn't a clear path. Right. Can I Can I please uh, uh, advocate for certain puzzle pieces? Um <laughs> Blake Lazant and Austin Wagner to me are fourth line players on a good team. Mm -hmm. Like Blake Lazant kills penalties. He, you know, he takes a licking and keeps on ticking. He's fun to watch. He's great. He doesn't need to play more than, you know, eight to 10 minutes a night. Right. He's, he's, he's a little guy. Um, Austin Wagner. But where is this? Where is, hold on, but hold on. Where is the spot for him in the lineup next year? Because if you have down the middle, if you have Kopitar, you have Velarde and you have Anderson Dolan and you're going to bring in Byfield or maybe in the second half of the season, you're going to bring in a Turcotte. Uh, if either of those guys come in and they're playing center, where is there room for Lazat? I think it's lunacy to play Quentin Byfield on the fourth line. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, I didn't say to play him on the fourth line, though. You could move Jod down to the fourth line, Yad, and, and you could play him on the third <laughs> line. See, my, my whole point is they have too many centers as it is. Blake sure. Lazat... Blake Lazat, great energy, great attitude, love the kid, came on the podcast, told some great stories, all of that stuff, wonderful success story. However, to me, he was a bridge to get the Kings to a certain place. Yeah. And that they're pretty close to getting to the other side. Okay, but but in 2012, Jet, you, your centers were Kopitar, Richards, Stoll, and Carter, right? But Carter didn't play fourth-line center. They put him on second Frazier. line. Yes, but I'm saying using your Kopitar... Um, Velarde, Anderson, Dolan, um, Byfield. Who, who did you say the centers were? They were Kopitar, Carter, and Stoll. Who would you say? Richards. Well, I said Richards because the point okay. is they moved Carter to wing because they uh -huh. had too many centers and you don't play a guy like Jeff Carter on the fourth line. That's just silly. Um, so so next year, if Cop if Byfield, Turcotte, Velarde are all ready to be in, on the NHL roster, well, mm -hmm. then two of those guys are playing wing. Right. Yeah, I think because there's, to because there's no point in playing any of the prospects that are currently in Ontario, unless maybe Mikey Asamont. But Thomas Byfield, Madden, Kupari, Turcotte, am I leaving any out? <laughs> um, well, but a couple of those players aren't even in the conversation for next year. Well, Tyler whatever. Madden's not, not in the NHL. No, sure, but my point is they're more valuable to me as trade chits than they are as a fourth-line center because you have a guy like Blake Lazat, who in my mind is is – perfectly suited to be a fourth line center gotcha. and gotcha and his his agent and his family and he himself won't be sitting there going hey man what am i doing on the fourth line give me out this is nuts whereas if mm -hmm. you know if you sit alex turcott on the four or even jared anderson dolan after the i mean granted it's only been 10 games but if he continues to be the player that we have seen early in his career like playing on the fourth is a waste to me yeah. well mm -hmm. i'll give you a prediction and this goes back to the draft year in 2017 when the kings picked velarde i got a text Tyler Toffoli. I think <laughs> I think he's going to be on the I think he's a right winger. I, I don't think he's a center. No, I think I we'll learn that every day now. So, you know, I just look at it and I see, you know, a lot of adjustment has to be made. So I think eventually and guys, I've been begging this guy to shoot the puck. Like he's got an amazing shot. He he can mm -hmm. navigate. And, I think his destiny is not in the middle. It's, it's on right wing. Mm hmm. Well, I agree with Dennis. That would be a little bit of a disappointment if that's ultimately where he ended up, because uh, a, a lot of people believe that he has sort of that Ryan Getzloff type ability, and that's been the comparable. So yeah. you would you it's would want somebody. You're right. Yes, uh, I agree. You would you would want somebody to sort of fulfill their you know uh, their destiny, if you will. But uh, there would be certainly be no problem putting him over on the wing, especially if you have Byfield uh, who comes in and plays center. And you you move Velarde over to the wing, and as I as I mentioned there a second ago, I do think that Turcotte ultimately ends up getting moved to the wing, and they're already seeing that in Ontario the the success that he's found over on the wing, uh, more so at center. So anyway, uh, hey Jesse, it's been uh, interesting hour long uh, conversation split across the two programs. Uh, what did you call it? Scooby Doo meets Kiss, I think that's you right. said. So uh, <laughs> that's that's outstanding. Uh, much like Gene Simmons, we're gonna breathe some fire and uh, we're gonna get out of here. So. Thanks for, thanks for coming on, and thanks for having us on, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Always fun to talk to you. Thanks, Jess. We'll be back after the break. Talk more hockey.
Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Third period, welcome back. And uh, Dennis, that was a little bit different there, bringing Jesse on in uh, half of our crossover event. Any any parting thoughts here? Oh, yeah. It was informative and entertaining. I think at some point in time, uh, when the Kings don't do anything at the trade deadline, we should uh, do another uh, mashup and bring it back on. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, well, the trade deadline is certainly coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, the Kings are not expected to be big players at the trade deadline, but uh, who knows? It's it, Dennis, in, in the year of uh, the pandemic, uh, the last 12-plus months, really nothing is definitive beyond maybe the next five minutes, right? So anything is possible. Right. The Kings could be the biggest players in the in the pool, and they could make uh, some massive deals and uh, shake the, the ground underneath the NHL. Who knows? Nothing would be surprising at this me point. Me and you will both need a drink if that happens, Jay. <laughs> okay. I'll even put an umbrella in my, in my drink. Uh, There'll be a lot of umbrellas. There'll be more than one, <laughs> multiple umbrellas if that happens, John. Yes. Like the picture you once sent me from Hawaii. Uh, yes, multiple umbrellas. That was It was fantastic. Um, look, before we move along here too, too much further in the third period, I just want to share a couple of audio clips, Dennis. There's a, an article, a companion article that goes up or that is up on mayorsmanor.com. Uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly, DSP, who, by the way, his nickname is Devo. Apparently, even his parents call him that. So DSP is what sort of the media and fans call him. But uh, his teammates, as Akil Thomas noted, uh, call him Devo. And then in talking to well, I was going to say DSP, but in, in talking to him, he told me that even his parents call him uh, Devo, all of his friends and family. He said nobody calls him Devante, of course, except his mom when he's in trouble. And thankfully for him, it's been a few years since he's uh, he's been in trouble and she's used his full government name. So uh, the, fir- the the clips here from uh, DSP, he talks a little bit about Quentin Byfield, and then he talks about Akil Thomas as a player and then also as a roommate. What are your first or early impressions here of Byfield? Uh, extremely, extremely impressed. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I've heard about him, obviously, um, watched world juniors and, you know, he comes with a high pedigree, but I've been extremely, extremely impressed, um, with how well he's played and how he looks out there and the way he carries himself and just, just everything. And, um, it's funny. The other day, I was trying to compare him to someone else's pick that high. It was that big? It was that good? And I, I couldn't really think of um, any guy that I've ever seen like that. So um, he, he's going to be uh, an amazing, amazing. He already is an amazing player, but at the next level, he's going to be a uh, he's going to be a star. And a uh, nice little goal streak that he has going since you've joined the team. So is that all him, or is that because of you? Uh, I mean, I would like to say I have something to do with it. <laughs> uh, I think I got on only one of them, but, um, you know, the timing lines up so I, I can take a little bit of credit. So. I love it. Outstanding. Um, Akil Thomas, I've long referred to him as the most fascinating prospect in the Kings organization. There isn't a topic you can bring up that he can't talk intelligently about. Just a very fascinating, um, person. Any, any similar impressions from your end? Yeah. I mean, it, impressed with him as well um you know on the ice he, he he's an extremely hard worker and for uh, I, I didn't even know how old he was for a 20 year old he's extremely extremely um you know passionate and extremely serious about you know his work um you know i ended up being roommates with him and um you know he's doing a lot of stuff off the ice he's always doing that but you know always ends the day with you know stretching and um, rolling out and, and doing all those things that when I was 20 and I've never seen a 20 year old really, um, <laughs> take it to their own hands like that. So, um, I've been extremely impressed with him on and off the ice. Um, and again, he, he's going to be a hell of a player as well. He did mention the other day, you guys are roommates now. So give us the most annoying thing about Akil as a roommate. <laughs> uh, honestly, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, low key and, and laid back. So, you know, he, he's on his phone calls. I, I'm just sitting there hanging out. I, nothing really bugs me too much. Um, the, the only thing I can say is he likes the room extremely, extremely cold, which, uh, <laughs> we're, we're not, we're not on the same page with that yet, but, um, you know, I, I, I want him to feel comfortable and I want him to, to be ready for every game. So you know, I, I had to put on a sweater for a couple of, uh, the sleeps, but it's okay. 
Okay, so again, if you want to hear more from Devontae Smith-Pelly, who recently signed with the uh, Ontario Reign, then you can check out that article on mayorsmanor.com. Quick reminder to everybody, DB, that uh, DSP is signed to an AHL-only contract. We've already seen a number of people replying and tweeting and stuff and asking, well, when can the Kings call him up? Well, they can't call him up at the moment because he's not signed to an NHL contract. He's on an AHL-only deal. Could they sign him to an NHL deal? Sure, absolutely. So could any other team as well. Um, And, uh, you know, then he could be recalled to the NHL. But as of right now, he's on an American League deal, and uh, he's playing with the Ontario Reign. So we'll see where that goes. He's only about four games into his his career there, or his comeback, whatever you want to call it. So, uh, uh, DB, recently we had Anthony Stewart on, who actually uh, had mentioned to us that he had been uh, training with DSP, I believe. Prior to prior to uh, DSP signing with the Kings, and you know we have a lot of people that listen to the program. And former Rain coach Mike Stutter, Stuthers Stutz uh, Stutz is one of those people that listens to the program on occasion. And of course, he he tuned in when Anthony Stewart was on because he was the assistant coach Stutz was in Atlanta when Stewart had a stop there. And so uh, Stutz had sent me a couple of comments. I just wanted to pass them on to you. He said stuff like he's a you know great guy, born in Toronto. Uh, he's good friends with Wayne Simmons. But he said, as a coach, he always left you wanting more. You wish that he could get in better shape. You hope that he would work harder and more consistently in practice and in games. He was a big, strong guy that could fly, but he didn't always play big or skate hard. And uh, Stutz said that he gave him t- uh, a really hard time in a, a team video session once for flamingoing <laughs> to avoid getting hit by the puck and he said I don't think that Stewie ever forgot or forgave me for that one so um, he said he's a happy-go-lucky guy that always seemed to enjoy life uh, so you couldn't help but like him as a person so uh, it's nice nice compliments there from Stutz but it's so fascinating to me Dennis how players coaches people around the game their memories they remember every single thing I mean think about how long ago that was in, in, that he had that video session where he was, you know, uh, saying that he flamingoed and how many other video sessions that Stutz has given in his life since then. Most of them probably included video of Braden Point, but, uh, and he had, he still remembers that moment from all these years ago. It's, it's just fascinating <laughs> to me how these guys remember these very specific. That's speci- the Atlanta Thrashers, John. It's, yes. it's not like. Yes. That's been, a, that's a minute. It's been a minute, John. That's what I'm saying. Like, think about all that he's done since then. He's gone on to Stutz has gone on to win the Calder Championship, and he coached the Ontario Reign. And he's I mean, he's done a lot of things. He's had a lot of meetings. He's had a lot of players. He was an assistant coach in Atlanta, as you said, for a minute. But he remembers that. So uh, it's funny because the coach there is basically saying, "Hey, I wish that Anthony Stewart would have given me more." And if I remember correctly. It, when talking to Anthony Stewart, he was he was pretty open in talking about that. Hey, I probably missed out a little bit in my career uh, because I wasn't as dedicated to the training and the being as much of a pro. Um, he even told us the story about he was like eating Chinese food when the Kings were trying to call him up um, during the playoffs that year. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah the the uh, recall by some of these people that we have on is just amazing because you know John the, the guys that you have brought on who were former Kings, that stuff was like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they recall like it's, you know, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, Dennis, there are, just to switch gears here, there are some Kings prospects and, and certainly plenty of other NHL prospects that are getting ready to make some memories this weekend. This is the kickoff of the real in a NC2A playoffs. This is the, the bracket, the tournament, 16 teams trying to get to the Frozen Four. It's going to be multiple days of crazy hockey here. Uh, the tournament kicks off today. Uh, however, the two Kings prospects uh, that are playing in the tournament, they don't play until tomorrow, which is Saturday. We're recording this on Friday, of course. Um, so on Saturday, you will see Brock Faber, who's been on the program, and the Minnesota Golden Gophers. They will be playing. And then also David Rennick, who has been on the program, uh, the Karate Kid, he will be tending goal for St. Cloud, and uh, they will play on Saturday as well. What's really cool about the way that the format's set up this year, while it's unfortunate that the Kings' other two prospects, uh, um, including Andre Lee at uh, Minnesota, not Minnesota, I'm sorry, at um, uh, UMass Lowell, it's unfortunate they won't be playing in the tournament. Well, but but what is cool is that these two that are in, Rennick and Faber, they can both advance to the Frozen Four. They don't have an opportunity to knock each other out 
in the opening rounds. Um, so in the Frozen, they could both make it to the Frozen Four, which would be nice for the Kings to have double representation. Um, Minnesota, they have, in my opinion, a little bit of an easier bracket to get to the Frozen Four, and they have been arguably one of the better teams. I think that they're a little bit of a sleeper team where everybody's talking about North Dakota, everybody's talking about Boston College. Minnesota has been very, very good when they're on their game. Um on the flip side of that, St. Cloud has a pretty rough going. They don't have the best uh, track record here uh, in the tournament over the last couple of years. When they were a dominant team throughout the regular season, they were knocked out in the first round a couple of times. So uh, they've been good at times, though. They actually beat North Dakota. They, they've knocked off a couple of really good top five teams. So St. Cloud does have it have it in them. And if Rennick plays well in goal, they could do it. But in order to do it, DB, first they have to get by BU in round one. And then in the second round, St. Cloud would have to play Boston College, the number one ranked team in the country. Uh, and BC has a bye in the first round so because uh, uh, Notre Dame had, had some COVID stuff. So I guess I would just ask you, yeah, if yeah. St. Cloud, if they get by BU, does St. Cloud go into that series with an advantage because BC was sitting on the sidelines? Or does St. Cloud go in at a disadvantage because BC is rested and ready to go? Where do you fall on that argument? Well, I think a disadvantage because that's the one seed. So I, I I think to get the one seed more rested and more prep and more video of what St. Cloud does, I think it's a disadvantage. Um, they're up against an enemy. They're going to be underdogs regardless, but mm -hmm. um, that's how I look at it. Yeah. The game to watch on uh, on Friday that is the uh, probably the marquee matchup there does feature UMD, which is not only Alex Iafalo's former team, but also is Mikey Anderson's former team. The Kings don't have any prospects there at the moment. However, they are, since there wasn't a tournament last year, they are the two-time reigning defending uh, champions. And uh, they're going up against Michigan, which is really the darling team, the trendy team, because of all of their uh, potential first-round draft picks. And so can can Michigan get by UMD? That's going to be an interesting game there. Uh, so college hockey, keep an eye on uh, Twitter for that. Moving along here, DB, uh, the orange tier, something, again, following up on something we talked about a few programs ago, uh, it looks like LA is targeted to move to the orange tier, LA County, on April 9th, from everything I'm hearing, which would mean if they did that, that would then open the doors for uh, fans to return to Staples Center soon thereafter. Yeah, I, I think you'd be looking at that group of games, whether five games on the 20th of April. Now, there still needs to be guidance from the state on mm -hmm. how to handle um, indoor sporting events. So it's not just a, a county or city. Um, decision here. So there, there needs to be guidance from there. But the expectation is, you know, that the Kings want their fans back in the building, no matter the number, um, to get just just to get back to normal. So that that's what I would be looking at. What about you? It would be it would be crazy, right? I mean, it's it's just it seems like it's uh, forever away because you know the fans haven't been in the building. But at the same time, things are moving so quickly. Uh, Dennis, all these concerts, uh, you know, as a comparable that have been yeah. rescheduled for later. Uh, I just saw a concert that was added to the calendar and is happening as early as May fifteenth. So it's like things are starting to open back up and sure enough, the Kings could potentially, and again, we don't have any sort of inside information. We're trying to read the tea leaves like everybody, but if they move, if LA County moves to the orange tier, which was considered to be the real key, you know, piece to everything. If that happens as early as April 9th, you're right. You could see as long as the, uh, the state and local officials follow through, you could have fans back in the building at the end of April. And boy, that would be crazy because I know people are starved to attend. I mean, Dennis, look at how many Kings fans we saw that traveled to Arizona to go to those games earlier this year. Yeah, well, to build on it, AEG are bringing back, Billboard.com reported this, they are bringing back employees. They're starting to hire them now. And I think by the summertime, um, they expect to be fully employed again. Uh, with respect to bringing back people. So that's another sign that they are starting to bring people back, which you obviously would need uh, to man personnel in the building. And remember what we said a couple of episodes, DB, that is be kind, right? Because it's going to be a challenge for everybody. Yes. Everything's not going to be the same as it was before. And when there's limited capacity, there are going to be new rules. People can only go certain ways and do certain things. But uh, boy, that would be exciting to see people back inside Staples Center and give them an opportunity to see some NHL hockey. What a great way to end the season. And hopefully back to what we talked about in the first period, hopefully the Kings can find a way to go on a run here and uh, have those games, you know, be impactful and meaningful and, uh, and potentially have some, some playoff implications. 
absolutely love to see these these youngsters playing games that are really really important and these games right now are really important but to imagine going in and let's say the last two games john uh, other than the rescheduled one imagine playing colorado at home with this first shot at the playoffs and that's going to go a long way um to help form these kids uh, going forward all right, DB, we're sending everybody off into the weekend with another episode of Kings of the Podcast. We hope that everybody enjoyed it and that you enjoyed the crossover event, the first time that we've done something like that. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you guys more. We'll talk to you guys on Twitter and other social media. We'll be back next week with more Kings of the Podcast. You don't